I V M. Folks, I would like to thank Camly Kids for supporting our show. Did you know that your kids can improve the English by sitting at home? Camly Kids helps your child aged 4 to 15 to learn English in a fun and engaging way from the best American tutors through one-on-one video classes at your convenience. It is certified by the KidSafe Seal program and all classes are recorded that can be viewed later. So what are you waiting for? Go to the website www.camlykids.com that's c a m b l y k i d s.com and the app Camly Kids available on iOS. You can also get a 10% discount on any subscription by using the code paisa paisa that's p a i s a v i s a or you can have paid trial session of 30 minutes before committing. On this episode of Paisa Paisa the Delhi recordings continue. I talk with Anup Vijay Kumar of Capital Mind. Folks, this is going to be the Calm Investor special because Anup runs a really nice blog at the calminvestor.com. He's going to talk to me about how nobody knows anything which is why people get their focus wrong, why investing like buffet is actually very difficult although what he says is so easy. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of Paisa Paisa coming up next. नमस्ते मैं हूं सौरभ चंद्रा और मैं प्रणय कोटस्थाने जब महफिल खत्म होते होते दरवाजे के बाहर पुलिया के ऊपर हम दुनिया भर की जटिल समस्याओं को सॉल्व करने में लग जाते हैं तो हो जाती है पुलियाबाजी अब आजकल के अपार्टमेंट वालों ने तो कभी पुलिया देखी नहीं होगी पर आप फीलिंग तो समझ ही सकते हैं तो आइए शामिल हो जाइए हमारी पुलियाबाजी में जहां प्रणय और मैं एक से एक इंटरेस्टिंग टॉपिक्स की तह तक जाएंगे आर्टिफिशियल इंटेलिजेंस बिटकॉइन पाकिस्तान मेडिकल एजुकेशन करेंसी क्राइसिस कभी हम दोनों के साथ और अक्सर स्पेशल एक्सपर्ट गेस्ट की कंपनी में सुनिए हमें आईवीएम की वेबसाइट ऐप या अपने फेवरेट पॉडकास्टिंग प्लेटफॉर्म आरोप हर दूसरे हफ्ते Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta B50 on Twitter, and this is such a good feel episode. Why? Because I have got the man himself. He calls himself the Calm Investor. The blog is thecalminvestor.com, and this is a seriously cool and chilled out person. I'm looking at him right now in the studio. I'm getting a very zen feel. You're like I am above all this market, Nifty, Sensex. I'm the calm investor. मुझे कुछ फर्क ही नहीं लगता है. Okay, jokes apart, guys. Um, I think Anup has written some of the most provoking, thought-provoking, um, blog posts out there on the calminvestor.com. So I'm really thrilled to have him out here, especially since he's also making a transition into a new role. He's he is going to talk about all of that. So let me introduce our guest for this episode. Anup Vijay Kumar, who runs the Calminvestor dot com, and who is now on his way to join Deepak Shinoy's Capital Mind. So, Deepak, again, if you're listening to this, it's a great find that you've got. Anup, welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing this recording for us, for coming all the way. Delhi traffic is Delhi traffic. Now you're going to get Bangalore traffic. Come by the way. So <laughs> we'll we'll see how that goes. But welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this for us. Let's get into an introduction to you because you've got a really fascinating background. Okay, let's start from there. Uh, hi Anupam, thanks firstly for having me on the show. Have been a listener for quite a while, so it's a Thank little you. bit surreal that I'm <laughs> in here as a as a guest. Sure. So you know, I'll probably start with a quick story to just highlight what made me interested in the markets, right? So imagine a a scene in a big corporate office where a manager is sitting in his office. Mm-hmm. It's Friday afternoon, but he's looking a bit glum, uh, a little bit sad, and his boss walks in, and he's like, "Dude, what's wrong with you? You know, it's it's Friday, weekend's coming. What's 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 bugging you?" and he sort of gestures to this uh, tall pile of paper in a corner saying look at that 
see that that's a big pile of applicants mm-hmm. uh, who have applied to a role on our team and i need to be spending time shortlisting that to find the right guy so i probably spend most of my weekend doing that so the boss pauses walks over to the pile of paper splits it into two takes one half and puts it into the trash can <laughs> and the manager sort of is shocked saying you know don't you want the, want me to find the best person for the team mm. he said absolutely i i do want you to find the best person on the team and i really don't want any unlucky people on the team <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> go ahead have a good weekend wow so point being and and the point of the silly story really was that when i had you know just finished my mba started analyzing stocks using all the textbook formulae dcf fcf all of that i quickly found that not all stocks are equal so the two stocks given the same business performance giving out the same earnings giving out the same free cash flows potentially the same growth prospects can have wildly different valuations in the market and there's really no way to rationally explain that i mean there are some stocks which get away with delivering fairly mediocre growth results and still have very high pe's 50 60s uh, what have you and there's some others who give fairly comparable performance but then will never be valued more than a 20 pe mm-hmm. and what i wanted to do was really understand what differentiates one from the other you could call them lucky versus unlucky whatever but essentially what really demarcates the two and how can an investor you know mostly get into the lucky ones and and avoid the unlucky ones so that's that's really where i got into the whole business of of looking to invest hmm interesting so tell us about the blog right uh, the calminvestor.com so just give us some background into why you started the blog mm-hmm. okay the journey so far and then i want to get into this core concept that you've got which is nobody knows anything mm-hmm. okay uh, what is your thought process on that and you know what are the implications for my listeners mm-hmm. for them go on absolutely so i think the calm investor really started off as just a journal for me to jot down how i am thinking about investing mm. and you know i had a boss early on who used to say that in god we trust but everyone else bring data <laughs> so and 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 i kind of align with that way of thinking about investing where i i like to look at the numbers and say okay this is working this is not and and based on aggregated data rather than simple anecdotal uh, examples that people might have mm. so it was really about saying okay this is my thesis around why this approach should work as a as a way of picking my stocks and then actually following up 6 months a year later to see how has it actually done what was i expecting and what actually happened so it it that's how it really started and then you know i felt um it would make even more sense to have it out there um it's one thing for me to jot it down in my own notebook but if it's out there it's making me do more rigorous analysis it's holding me to a higher standard of coming to those points of view mm-hmm. as opposed to just thinking okay aisa hi hoga and that's what really the calm investor has been it's been a way for me to become a better investor by just being more rigorous in my analysis in my uh in my thesis and then putting it out there to say okay what 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 do market say and what do people say okay and i've, I've been wrong a lot of times and but overall the learning has been invaluable tell me some counter intuitive thoughts some counter intuitive post you went into a certain topic that you went in with with a certain bent of mind and when you came out after doing your research mm-hmm. it was totally you know it was totally something so tell talk to us about that so i think a, a straightforward one was this whole idea of buying cheap stocks right you the first first book most investors read is the intelligent investor Graham says buy low PE stocks, low PB stocks, stuff that's you know doesn't have too much debt. Only buy those, sell them once once they grow go beyond a threshold, 
and it intuitively makes sense. So the same way, if you were to apply uh, the thinking, a stock that has fallen quite a bit should therefore be a, a good buy. I mean, a stock that's at a 52-week low should be a better buy than a stock that's a 52-week high. That's the intuitive uh, conclusion you might draw. Hmm. But then you get into the data and you see it's the absolute opposite that works. Okay. Stocks that are at 52-week lows, lows tend to tend to be there for a good reason and tend to keep falling. And the opposite tends to work for the other stocks which are hitting fresh highs. Imagine taking on Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows anything. Let's let's get into that. What's that about? So again, this was uh, basis thinking that, you know, and, and I, I like to think in analogies and there's one saying which is like, the older I get, the faster I was. Mm. Uh, people tend to remember things differently uh, when they think back and say, okay, is this how I took that decision? Um, how brilliant was I when I did this? And when you actually get into details, uh, try and validate that with data is when you get some surprising results. So I think three three examples there. So the whole 2008 crisis, right? Um, if you track the news flow that happened from, let's say, September 2007 to March 2009, mm. where there were a lot of volatility in the markets. And and I'll just refer to my, to my notes here to say, to see how the markets actually did at that point, right? So... September 2007 to March to Jan 2008, Nifty went from 4,500 to 6,200. Hmm, That's up 38% in four months. Correct. During that time, everyone predicted Nifty 7,000 by July 2008. And I'm referring to various different experts talking about where they expect the markets to be. The headlines. You know, everyone's saying 7,000 by July, if not sooner. Hmm. Optimistic across the board. Then Jan 2008 to March 2008, there was a correction. Not not a crash, but a correction. Hmm. Uh, I think Reliance IPO, Reliance Power IPO'd on 12th Feb. The peak of the market as opened, well. Opened yeah. at a 21% premium to uh, issue price and then closed the day 21% below yeah. the issue price. So everything, so there was this this blip and the story then was, this is a good buying opportunity. Get in articles all across the board, 10 stocks to make you rich over the next 10 years, <laughs> 20 stocks to make you a millionaire over the next five years, etc., mm. etc. You know, in, in general, mm. very few people who said, you know what, this is the start of something bad. Mm. I think one credit I would give is uh, Shankar Sharma made a comment about that this could be the start of a of a deep bear, bear market. Mm. March 2008 to, let's say, December 2008, right? When there period. is that entire crash. Very rough period. 4,500 down to 2,700. Correct. You know, down 40%. And it's one-fourth of, I think, all BSE 500 stocks were trading at below book value. Mm. At that. Unheard of in, in Indian markets. Seventh uh, Jan, the Satyam fiasco happens. Correct. Markets again fall, and at and during all that news flow, I th- I, saw, I found only one piece of uh, one opinion, which was of uh, Rakesh Junjunwala, who said this could be a good buying opportunity. Okay. Everyone else said this is the new normal. Stocks are not <laughs> going to be a good investment for the se- next several years. Okay. And these are all all your experts, right? Within with the, with great credentials against their name, looking good in their suits. So within six and, months, they flipped. Absolutely. So financial forecasting is basically just extrapolating the recent past. Mm. It, at least that's what it looks like when you look at financial media. And okay. hence, I mean, that, that thesis of mine. The the other way I would, I kind of validated this was I, I tracked, for the last two years I've been doing this, uh, I've been tracking the recommendations made by all the professional fund managers, research houses, brokerages at the end of the year. You know, when they're asked the question, which stock for the next year? And, and actually just tracking them in a real time in a Google sheet. So for 2018, for example, uh, what I found was the average return, or not the average actually, 
the best return out of about 25 different institutional recommendations was about 1.2%. Hmm? 1.2%. Wow. If you look at all the stocks that okay. they recommended. <laughs> okay. The best performer was obviously, you know, uh, the worst was a negative 44%. Okay. And Nifty did 4%, plus 4% in this, okay. in this time. Huh. Right? So, Crazy. it's not that, you know, they they got it wrong. It's just huh. that it's hard to be accurate in the short term. Yeah. Same thing I'm currently doing for the 2019 recommendations. And Nifty is up, I think, by about 6% for yeah. the year now, given what's happened Doing in the last, last couple of yeah, days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, the average is, again, 3%. And there's lots of portfolios which are down by 30% and so on, which have like the likes of HEG and, uh, you know, Z Entertainment and stuff in there, which have which have been hammered. And to all, you know, they might have had some logic or the other when they were making these recommendations. They, did, they don't choose Absolutely. it out of the air, but nobody really knows anything, do they? Yeah. That, and I think... And you could say, well, the people making these decisions might not have been the smartest. I don't yeah. know, you know. Yeah, yeah. But then you go back to the example of LTCM, right. um, long-term capital management. Julian Robertson, 1997. Yeah, 94 to 99. They literally had people who wrote the book on on finance, yeah. right? I mean, Black Scholes model, those, the, the people who actually defined how to uh, price options were on the board of this, this organization, which actually went bankrupt. Bombed, yeah. First three years are fantastic, mind you. 20, 40 and 43%, I think. And then the fourth year, they just completely disappeared. So let's go to the Bhagwan Maibab of them all. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Oracle of Omaha. Mm-hmm. Okay, the guy, the man who makes, you know, what he says is so simple, so easy, so believable. So, you know, it just gives you a sense of uh, assuredness that what this guy says can't, you know, you, you can't go wrong if you act like Buffet, if you invest like Buffet. I'm talking about Warren Buffet. Mm-hmm. Specifically, why is investing like Buffet so difficult, right? When what he says is easy. So you think that investing like him is actually difficult, even though what he says and his wisdom that has been spouted by like everyone on the street mm-hmm. seems so easy. Tell us about that. So so to your first question, right, is can we invest like Buffet? I, I don't think we can. Um, simply because... He's he's simplifying things that he's understood based on his decades of experience and his fantastic intellect mm. to the point where we think that we can also do the exact same thing. Okay. And uh, I, you know, there was this talk by Bill Nigrin uh, of Oakmark Funds. Mm. He gave at Google where he he said reading the first book on Buffett is is immensely valuable. Okay. Reading the fifteenth book of him uh, book on Buffett is like consuming comfort food. <laughs> you know, it feels good, but yeah. it's not really adding much value. Okay. And I you know ha- I have to agree to that because every March and I think late Feb March is when the Berkshire you know annual report comes out with the letter to shareholders, right? Mm. And it's probably the most awaited piece of financial literature mm. um, that is out there. You know, there's an entire cottage in- industry of folks who are quoting and talking Analyzing. about Buffett. And, you know, I've quoted Buffett myself uh, enough times. So, um, guilty on that count myself. But, and and the fact is he's brilliant. I mean, there's no, uh, there's no arguing about it. Even though in the last 10 years, I think uh, Berkshire has struggled to kind of beat the S&P yeah. uh, in most years. But that doesn't change the fact that he's phenomenal. Sure. But his, you know, you've got to think about why he has the kind of following that he does. I mean, hmm. there are enough celebrity investors out there. And I think there's primarily three reasons. Okay. One is... Buffett makes himself available. Like there are numerous biographies, numerous articles, numerous interviews that he's he's been there for, where mm. he openly talks about his entire process, his thesis, how he arrives at it, his entire life, pretty much. Second is he's he's likable. I mean, what's not to like about a, a, a billionaire who's 
you know, going to a McDonald's and ordering a, a cheeseburger and, you know, a, and a Coke for himself. And then, you know, making all these folksy jokes and references, right? Based, based out of Omaha and not New York. Absolutely. And he's so relatable. Like, you, you don't feel intimidated when you're probably talking to a Warren Buffett versus, say, a George Soros, for <laughs> yeah. example, right? And finally, I think he makes it look easy, like I said, right? And things like price is what you pay, value is what you get. Um, fundamentally, you know, so insightful. How do how would you actually go about implementing it? I, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think his quote, right? I'd rather buy wonderful businesses at fair prices than fair businesses at wonderful prices. I think that quote overall, I think, has lost more money for investors than <laughs> anything else, any other advice. Mm. Because it's just enabled fund managers and, you know, people who manage portfolios to justify just about buying any stock at any valuation. And, mm. you know, if you were to think about India, you know, companies like Page Industries, Jubilant Foodworks, not that there's anything wrong with the businesses themselves, but they've traded at like 70, 80, 90 X earnings, mm. which at some point gets ridiculous. And so the that's the whole point here, where we think what he's saying makes sense and we are able to implement it when in fact, we, we aren't really implementing what he's done. We don't have the level of understanding that he does. So my recommendation to uh, anyone typically is, Try and implement when you're listening to any kind of advice. Try and see how would you implement it. You know, mm. do you see a clear, you know, straight line between that advice and the portfolio that you're going to end up with? Mm. If not, then that that's probably not for you, and you're you're better off thinking of simpler means of building your portfolio. Anup, I want to wrap up this part, um, this first part of our recording, with probably two or three you know, key takeaways for our listeners on the framework side, on the psychology side, on the rules side, right? Because you've done a lot of reading, you've also written a lot and you have tracked how what people say and what actually happens are probably a divergence, including someone like Buffet. I want you to leave our listeners with maybe three guiding posts. You already said one, which is while listening to advice, okay, make it relatable, make it work for you. Okay, so mm -hmm. let, let's just spend some time on maybe some guidance that your years of reading and understanding and analyzing have given you to look forward in the future when you're assessing an investment opportunity. You just mentioned Page. You just mentioned Jubilant. I can tell you 10 stocks right now which look completely ridiculous and they would still go up maybe, you know, in the future. Let's forget about those talks. Let's just talk about philosophies. Okay. I think that you would, you know, you would have some views on that. Let's just leave our listeners with these few, you could call it gist, you could call it cliff notes, you could call it something for our listeners to help them look at equities over the longer term. I think the fundamental thing I would suggest is a consistency of approach, right? You could be a momentum guy, you could be a value guy, you could be someone who does, let's say, technicals. But the if if you try and keep changing your approach from based on what worked in the recent past, you're probably setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion always is, I mean, my fundamental core belief is regression to the mean. So an approach that has not been working over the recent past is probably best positioned to start working at this point in time. Okay. So just at the time when you're probably going to lose patience with something is the time to probably stick with it and continue with that same mechanism of picking stocks. Okay. And that's... And, and and I think that's applicable across the board in the sense, if you're a momentum person, you're buying stocks which are making new highs and constantly going up, 
Uh, and if you value, you're doing sort of almost the opposite. You're doing it based on fundamental valuation of the company. So you shouldn't really change that approach is 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 my point. And give it a good three, four years. And I know that sounds like a, a, a little too long, especially uh, when you were looking for instant gratification all the time. But that is the minimum amount of time that you need to prove or disprove an approach. Okay. And you could... In a sense, maybe allocate parts of your portfolio to different strategies and see which works sure. and then see where you want to scale up and where you want to ramp down. But you have to give that kind of time. Okay. So I think that itself forms a nice cornerstone, you know, for people to form their uh, execution strategies over the long term. Folks, we'll be right back uh, on this really special episode of uh, of Anupuja Kumar. I'm going to call this a calm investor special because that's his blog. On the other side of this break, we're going to come back with very specific advice to you when you're going to choose your advisor, your fund manager, you know, we're going to get into what questions you should ask or a general guide that you want to take as per Anu because he's, he himself is an RIA as uh, he just told me before uh, uh, the recording. So we're, we're going to get into specific advice for choosing an advisor or a fund manager. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another awesome week on the IVM Podcast Network. If you aren't following us on social media, please make sure you do. We're IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, quick reminder, please do fill out our survey. It's at ivmpodcast.com slash survey. It's a listener survey. We're trying to understand more about who's listening to our stuff, what kind of things you would like to see from us in the future, what you have been seeing so far, what you think of it. What shows you like? All kinds of different stuff. Also who you are, right? So I mean like all kinds of different stuff. Just please do come in and fill it out. It would be really helpful. That's ivmpodcast.com slash survey. Want to thank our sponsors this week, Cambly, Intel, and Storytel. Remember, sponsors are what make this stuff possible. So if you enjoy the content, please do thank our sponsors. We have two new shows releasing this week. Lakshmi Krishnan, better known as Literary Chills on Twitter, talks to agents of literary culture on her show Lit Nama. She plunges deep into new genres of literature born in the digital era as she talks to the performers, storytellers, bloggers, poets and writers. New episodes are out every Tuesday from 10th December. The Traveling Professor's Diary is hosted by Siddharth Deshmukh. It's a show about a curious human being with an eagerness for travel and observation. He visits colleges such as MICA, SP Jain, Symbiosis, Flame, Upgrad, Talent Age and spreads the digital gospel of design, marketing, and business transformation. Episodes are out every Tuesday and Thursday starting 10th of December. On Cyrus Says, Cyrus is joined by the man who writes the famous Amul hoardings, Manish Chaveri. He talks about his life in advertising and bonds with Cyrus over their love of Bappi Lari. On Mr. and Mrs. Binge Watch, Janice and Anirudh deep dive into season 2 of Jack Ryan. They discuss how it measures up with other globe-trotting spy shows. On the origin of things, Chuck narrates a story about the achievements, awards, and the rules that were changed by a particular bank. On Tapri Tales, meet the character Samira who talks about Azadi Ka Room, woven by our storyteller Madhuri. What is Azadi Ka Room and can we find it today? Samira will tell you. On the Filter Coffee podcast, Karthik is joined by co-founders of the News Minute, Dhanya Rajendra and Vignesh Velour. Together they talk about the initial days of the News Minute and give their viewpoints of how news is provided in India. On Advertising is Dead, Varun is joined by Chief Digital Officer at Hansa Equity, Nishad Ramachandran. They talk about how marketing is converging around a digital customer hub. On Golgappa, Tripti is joined by Anish Vyavhare, a spoken word poet who talks about his love for poetry and recites some poems about food. The Habit Coach completes one year of great habits. Ashton is joined by Unmi Kothari, the host of the Kinetic Living Podcast. They talk about her fitness journey and her philosophy behind exercising. And with that, let's get on with your show. Folks, welcome back to the Calm Investor Special on Pesa Vesa. I'm recording in Delhi. My guest is Anupuja Kumar, who runs the Calm Investor blog, who's now going to be part of Capital Mind. In the first part of this recording, we spoke a lot about how people get their forecasts wrong 
and the temptation of making these forecasts as how the market moves. He went in a lot of depth about 2007-2008 and how people made some fantastic recommendations at the top, at the bottom. He spoke about the great Warren Buffet and about how, you know, while he sounds, uh, what he says sounds very easy to implement, but actually investing like him is seriously difficult. Okay. In this part of our recording, Anup is going to talk to us about how to choose your investment advisor. Anup himself is a, 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 a registered investment advisor. And we're going to talk about, so for a lot of you, equities might be a new product to own on the financial side. You might be new to mutual funds. You might be new to buying stocks or you might be a seasoned guy, a veteran guy. Maybe you don't even need any help. But there's always good advice. There's always a value to good advice. And you, you know, I would say that it's always good to have an advisor on your side who you understand. And this even applies to fund managers. I think if you, you know, when you're investing in a mutual fund, you're actually giving your money to a fund manager to run. When you're giving your money in a PMS, you're giving your money to a fund manager who's going to run your money. So it's important for all of us to know how should one choose a good advisor and how should one choose a good fund manager. So Anup, let's go into that. So Anupam, I think one of the the most frequent, um, uh, I would say, feedback or other comments I get from people that I speak to, especially who are looking for financial advisors, they all have this sense of guilt, this sense of guilt about not doing enough about their finances and about their investing, meaning that it, it was just something that they've always uh, put off. They've decided I'll, I'll look into it last weekend, but then something happened and I ended up having more fun and I didn't spend the time. So and you know my immediate uh, response to anyone who has that feeling of guilt is we all wear clothes but we don't all feel guilty about the fact that we can't sew our own t-shirt from a yard of fabric right so why this thing about investing in finances i mean if it's not something that you enjoy doing why do you have to feel that no i have to make myself do this so first step i think is to figure out are you a do it yourself investor or are you someone who would like to just outsource it all you know fill it shut, shut it forget it type and if you if you're DIY or do it yourself, you already know this. You enjoy spending time analyzing companies, sectors, and doing the numbers, etc. And you know what inputs to get from where, and you're you're set. If you're not in that category, there's no point trying to force yourself into that category. You're you're better off thinking, okay, where can I get the best advice that I can trust, which will allow me to sleep well at night. Okay. And I think fundamentally, my advice to them is your objective should be to take the minimum number of decisions that enable you to sleep peacefully about your financial future, you know, where you don't have to think about it every day, day in, day out, and you're able to hand it over to someone you trust and then not keep going back to it. Okay. So if you're, if you're looking for, to figure out how, how to best, how to best get your advice, Mm. let's say, right. I think some of the basic rules I think about is, um, like in, in cricket, there is this thing, right? If You know, 50 overs or test cricket. When you're trying to figure out whether a particular score is good or not, uh, and the commentator will say, add two wickets to that score to see if it still looks good. Mm. So if a team is at 250 for one, well, add two more wickets, 250 for three, does it still look as good or not? I, I would say apply that to financial advisors or fund managers. The first input you will get is their last year's return, which will often be fantastic. What if that return was half of that? What if it was even negative? Does that person or organization still seem credible or do they suddenly lose all of it just because that number is is different? And you want to consider organizations and people who, irrespective of their last year's return, seem like, yeah, these people know what they're talking about. Okay. 
second is in terms of their personality okay. and be it the organization or the person uh, and you will get a, get a sense of it from what they say when in good times and bad when they've you know do they credit themselves when they've had big gains and then when things go wrong do they only talk about the economy and the the government and the trade wars and oil prices mm. in which case there's a bit of a problem where they're taking the credit but they're not taking the blame mm. <laughs> right uh, you you want people who are, who will agree or accept to having been wrong that's that's a fundamental quality i think you need to see look for in an in an advisor okay and finally get a sense of their overall philosophy hmm. um does it aim to get the best returns out there uh because as exciting a goal as that might be it will inevitably show sharp drawdowns as well okay. and are you as a as a as a client geared to to face those and you know we've studied behavioral finance and know about biases and all of that but fundamentally we are not going to change all that much so if we have a significant aversion to losing any money or seeing any kind of drawdown mm. we are not going to change and we are better off not looking for a product or an investment advisor who's going to cause us that mm. you know so maybe not go for someone who's got this arcane black box system which has a secret sauce out of which come out these great returns in good times Correct. you're you're better off picking something much simpler that you can understand yeah. and it's it's fairly transparent in in its composition etc so and and this is a problem we've been discussing for quite a while at at capital mind you know deepak and the team while there is a pms product which has a bottoms up multi cap portfolio uh, that it picks but there's a whole host of people who are not comfortable seeing negative 20 30% in their portfolios and you know with good reason i mean it, it's your hard earned money why should you uh, have to go through that pain and we we thought of this concept which which at this moment point we are calling uh, you know don't lose money which is essentially a very simple straightforward approach of taking money at one shot and putting it into liquid fund and then over time only moving the returns from the liquid fund into an equity fund and this is you know we're thinking of it as a as a benchmark which will be a combination of the nifty 50 the nifty next 50 and even the nasdaq the the way we are envisaging it right now and so at no point can your portfolio go below the amount that you've invested in it because the principle always stays in the in the liquid fund and we've done extensive back test on this uh, going back you know 15 15 years and what we are seeing is consistently this this kind of a portfolio structure beats fixed deposits definitely in fact the irrs are in the range of 9 to 10% which is actually not too far below what the nifty would have given you anyway hmm. but what is more interesting is that the maximum drawdown that this kind of a portfolio gets is is in the vicinity of 10 to 12% which hmm. is far below anything that you would have experienced being fully invested in the markets any, at any given point in time so the our hypothesis so far is if you have a uh, an aversion to losing money you start with some kind of a portfolio construction which is mainly liquid fund and then only returns moving into equity and then over time as you get more and more comfortable with the idea of investing then you think about specific goals and start to make that entire portfolio more specific to your needs and 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 at that point look at allocating into more aggressive instruments fantastic so um last question what can we look for from you at capital mind you just spoke about this one product what 
and i know that you're going to do a wide array of things out there but from a listener's perspective anything that you want to wrap this episode up on what they can look forward to in terms of products or in terms of anything new at capital mind so i mean i think we're pretty excited about all the different things that we're working on at at capital mind so there's a couple of new things uh, that are definitely in the offing fairly quickly so one is we started uh, something called the bond desk we saw that there is a need for uh, retail investors to get access to good quality bonds at good yields which for some reason is very difficult in the indian market because given that there is hardly any volume mm. so we we've started a desk wherein we accumulate these bonds and then offer them at specific yields uh, to folks who want to buy in fact we've started a site called buybonds.in which has details on how you can get those bonds uh the second is uh on the ria front where uh while the pms is good for f- uh, folks who are able to invest more than 25 lakhs which uh eventually very soon might become 50 lakhs yeah. uh we we still want to be able to advise folks who are not in that bracket and help them start the investing journey and that's where we're going to start with a full fledged advisory service uh with capital mind which um, me deepak and shrey and the folks are working on right now actively to to get that going mm. and we are pretty excited about that Fantastic folk that is a wrap on the Calm Investor special with Anup Vijay Kumar is there a designation for you <laughs> at Capital Mind no designation Capital Mind doesn't believe in any in any designations Capital Mind is always cool folks that is a wrap on this episode Anup thank you so much for taking the time out coming out here I hope to maybe catch up with you after a year maybe you know once you're settled in once you're doing some really funky exciting stuff on Capital Mind guys listeners folks if you like this episode Please leave us a rating, ranking, feedback. I am B fifty on Twitter, or use your podcast app to give us some feedback or some ranking out there to let us know how this went for you. I hope it did work for you, Anup. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming over. That is thanks, a- Anupam. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, and folks, thank you so much for listening. That's a wrap. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision. Remember the last vacation you took? What about the one you took 3 years ago? Okay, how much do you really remember? It's a question I've asked myself often over a decade of traveling the world. Hey, I'm Utsav and I do not travel the world for a living. I have a full-time job and responsibilities. but i have made traveling the world a priority priority enough that i negotiate extra leave in my job contracts obsessively track my frequent flyer miles and i'm willing to take off at the sight of a cheap ticket yes i am cheap i have lived and worked in three countries i understand human behavior for a living and these experiences have given me unique insights into places people and culture with over a decade of travel behind me I increasingly realized one thing that we cannot see everything. So whatever we see, we must see deeply. Because as the film of memory decays, the imprints which will stand the test of time are the ones felt by the immersion of the senses, not by fleeting encounters with them. Postcards from nowhere is an immersion into the world of slow travel, one story at a time. Tune in every Thursday on the IVM podcast app, website or wherever you get your podcast from. Are you looking for India's most awesome cricket podcast? Are you now tired of listening to the same old guys drone on about cricket everywhere? Edges and Sledges is a weekly cricket podcast hosted by three fans of the game, Varun, DJ, and myself, Ashwin. 
It was established in early 2018, has over 60 episodes now, and is of course now proud to be on the IVM Podcast Network. Each week, we get together from three different time zones, the USA, the UK, and Singapore, and we talk about things from the world of cricket, with a focus on Indian cricket. We often interview special guests from all around the world, including former cricketers and cricket media personalities. So check out Edges and Sledges, the cricket podcast, now on the IVM Network.